to feel up. Episode 159. This one's for the ladies. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's word. Hello, all you theomisogynists out there. I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. Together we are... The The Theonauts! Are you lonely? (laughs) Sad? Looking for love. Looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> I just could do that all night. <laughs> this is so great. How you doing, David? I'm doing good, man. How's it going? Uh, I'm all right. It's yeah. going good. I good. A, it's Friday. I love Fridays. Yes? Yeah. I get to go on a mini vacation with my wife tomorrow, and I'm excited about that. Oh, that's right. You're doing a concert. Yeah, you're doing a concert, too. Yes, yeah, so we're just not going to the same concert. No, you're going to Screamo Metal, and I'm going to uh, you're Mercy so Me old. and 10th Avenue North. You're so I'm old. I'm not old. I you love, talk, listen. You talk like an old person. Let me explain no something No one calls this music Screamo, but it's, old people. It's Screamo. No, there's no such animal as Screamo. Metal. Yes. Okay, but it's it's more than metal because they scream. I'll listen to metal all day long if it's not screaming. <laughs> For the most part, I like some scream screaming, yeah. but I mean it's and I'm not old. I love okay. hard stuff. Like, Here's what I'm they, big on that. Okay, traditionally, I grew up in the '90s, is, man. The people in this music call it hardcore metal. Okay, okay, no one calls it screamo. <laughs> He's getting it's on a like, soapbox. You should see the intensity in his <laughs> eyes right now. No, it's just, it's, it's like my grandma, whenever she would talk about rock and roll music. You kids in your guitars. You know that, that boompity boompity music you all kids listen to these <laughs> days. Boompity. Yeah. That's great. Okay, okay, whatever, grandma. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> I mean, would you, okay. My mom, dig this, my mom used to, like, I would have the police Okay, the sting, sting, <laughs> the police playing in my car, and she would don't go. Don't stand so close to me. If you don't turn this off, I'm gonna punch something. This is driving me crazy. <laughs> so what'd you so put on? Burke Bacharach plays his hits. Yeah, it's Chicago. What Chicago. the world <laughs> needs now? Hey, I'm not opposed to this. Love. Sweet I actually have love. a very eclectic musical taste. Mm. I like it all. I do too, except for country. I, yes, I, and I'm in Texas. I understand that, but for I want reason, I, you know what I like the country style. I want to wear a hat. I want to wear the boots. So uh, yeah, I like that stuff. But I, I don't. I just I don't need a cowboy hat. That music is just so boring. Well, <sighs> okay. So here's my biggest beef with it. It's pretentious to me. Like most of the guys producing this music aren't really from this area. Like they're really not country people, right? Newsflash, Shania Twain's from Canada. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like the accents that come through so much in the vocals of the of the singing sound very put on to me. And And anybody can do it. There's probably a lot of people listening that are country fans. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Honestly, anybody can do that. Because you can beat up you can beat up metal music. So that's fine. Everybody beats it up. 
I'm cool with that. Get a little mud on tires. <laughs> so Whatever. anyway, I'm going to see War of Ages. War of Ages. At the Dirty 30 in Dallas. They just they just did a new album? Yes. Yeah. Last, late last year. Right. Do you and like it, it? Oh, it's, it just rocks. Really? It'll melt your face off, yes. Awesome. It's very good. I'll have to check it they, out. And they are, by the way, they are... Hardcore Christian, right? Big time Christian, yeah. Like it is preaching music. Well, I'll tell you, it's worship. One thing that this type of music is powerful for me with is, you go to the concert, you will hear the gospel by the time. Oh yes. you're gone, and and not just the gospel. You will hear preaching of loving your neighbor as yourself, and the the, the cool thing is these guys are reaching into places where. Other other things cannot get to, to spread the yeah. gospel. So. These are people that that are have been like shunned from churches right. because of the tattoos and the hair and mm-hmm. all that sort of thing. And but they're finding Jesus anyway, right? Through the music and through it's a cool scene. That's awesome. Yeah, and I, I know that's really weird, but <laughs> well, I'm not a huge fan of the. I, I I do like Mercy Me's newer stuff. I don't like their older stuff. I think it's very. <sighs> Cliche, cliche, <laughs> CCM. But their newer stuff is actually really good, and uh, my wife loves them and loves Tenth Avenue North. Yeah, and she actually bought these tickets for Meredith for her birthday, mm-hmm. and Meredith ended up not being able to go because of the the surgery, and so yeah. I get to go. But I'm excited because my wife and I get a night away from the That's baby, awesome. and we get to hang out and have a hotel room together, and it'll be nice. And you know, so. and I like that type of music too, though. I mean, like, sure. yeah. I mean, it's worshipful, right. praiseworthy. Amen. I mean, I, I like that. So powerful. But so we have good weekends going out, and uh, we had a good week this week. Yeah, it was better than last week, I think. Yeah, in a lot of ways. So you think so? Yeah. Even though it rained all the time here in Texas, I kind of love the rain, though. I like a little bit of rain. I was sitting. It's been kind of crazy. I was sitting by my window today, and one of the third graders comes up and he was like. Are you depressed, Mr. Hoyle? <laughs> I said, no, I just like watching rain fall on puddles, dude. I'm not depressed. Are you sure? He's like, you're you like, need a hug. He just, you're like Kathy Bates up, in the movie Misery. Yeah. It's like, sometimes the rain gives me the blues. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> it's funny your mind went to misery. Like, what in the world's. Okay, anyways. Well, I grew up on Stephen King. Of course you did. Um, so, I got to tell a a wacky story that happened to me this morning. Okay. Okay, so I'm driving in like 4.30 in the morning. I got to go to Dallas to meet with my my clients. And I always go in way early so I can beat the traffic. And especially when it's raining, it's like the traffic is horrible because we've never experienced rain before. Sure. And um, so I always listen to a a devotional in the morning on my way in. And I'm listening to uh, the devotional for this morning was 1 Thessalonians 5, where it talks about um, do not repay evil for evil, but instead it says seek or um, pursue to do something beautiful in the Passion Translation. Mm. To do something beautiful for others, especially unbelievers. And, of course, in the devotional they were saying, what words jumped out at you? And the word pursue, the word seek jumped out at me. So I was like praying to God, help me seek opportunities to to do good, right? to be beautiful to somebody. And uh, 15 minutes later, on the road, 
It's raining like crazy. There's a car in the ditch, nose first, water up to the door, and a lady waving out of the window like, help. (laughs) So I pull over and I find out she's actually a little weird. She's a little crazy Uh, because she wouldn't get out of the car. I was trying to get her out of the car and I was like, hey, do you have someone we can call? And she was like, "Uh, no, I don't have a phone. I was like, well, I have a phone. Is there someone we can call? Uh, No. And I'm like, well, you're not going to be able to get out of here. Is there some, you know, someone that can come help? And Anyway, I was talking to the guy in the store. She was by a store, and the water was so full in the ditch that it was like level with the road. So she just missed the actual oh, yeah. turnout and, and drove just right drove into right into it. And uh, the guy at the store in the store said, "Oh, she's here every morning. She's not all there in the head." So I was like, "Oh, great." So <laughs> here, this is, it's like four thirty-five. This five in the morning, and um, I normally don't have any toe straps with me. But one of the guys in our church, for whatever reason, like last week, was like, oh, here, I don't really need this. Do you want it? And gave me a toe strap. Because God's awesome. Yes. So cool. (laughs) And I was like, so, oh, I've got a toe strap in my car. So um, I pull this woman out of the the ditch. And, uh, of course, I kind of felt bad leaving after it was all said and done. It took about 45 minutes to get it all to figure out what was going on and to get her out of there. And uh, so I kind of felt bad leaving her because I was like, are you okay to drive? Sure. <laughs> I was like, stay out of the ditches, please. Wow. And because she kept telling me, can you just, like while she was in the ditch, she kept telling me, can you just go in there and buy me a pack of cigarettes? <laughs> and I'm like, no, there's bigger problems. Right. You've got to get out of this ditch, lady. <laughs> you're, wow. you're, you're door deep in water. We got to get you out of here. Wow. <laughs> So anyway, so I had a really fun morning. It was sure. very adventurous. Uh, but it's just funny the way God works. Like he put that on my heart and provided the tools I needed and everything. And wow. hopefully it was a blessing to her. But anyway, just, it's weird. Just crazy things today. God's good. That's amazing. He provides a way. Once uh, once you hear the word, he provides a way for you to act on it. And yeah. that's, that's exactly what happened this morning. He does so. it to me all the time, too. Yeah. You know, he's like, you wanted this? Here. Right. Like he's always he do, chance. doing that. Everything in Haiti works that way. Sure. It's like you wanted this, you asked me for this, bam. And it gives me something crazy to do. And thank you, Jesus. Amen. <laughs> All right. So we ready to talk about some girls? Speaking of women, yep. Yeah, let's do this. So this is a really cool topic that you came up with. Because I love me some women. We've been talking about women lately uh, in the Bible, and so we decided to do our top, I guess you'd call this top 10, <laughs> top although 10. you're That's... doing five and I'm doing five. So Which it's, is 10. Yeah, 10. Are both top five, and then it equals 10. Women in the Bible. Favorites in Favorite the Bible. Favorite women the And Bible. there were no, uh, <laughs> there was no parameters around this. No. So there's no, like, they have to be this or they have to be that. There's no reason, rhyme or reason to our madness. It's straight up top five. Yeah, just because we like women in the Bible. And so earlier this week, I told you, what did I say? <laughs> well, No, we can't do this. We can't do this. And because one, you and I like the same type of women. You and I like the same type of women. And you said... 
<laughs> you just didn't respond. I said, fine, but I get the three Marys. Yes. Right? They're like, no. <laughs> you can't have all the Marys. I'm like, I get the three Marys because they're my favorites. <laughs> that it. And so then I'm like, oh, I guess, you know. It's I'll, so funny. This is kind of weird. I'll surrender my. Because, uh, you know, my wife listens to the show. Yes. So, you know, and this is. But it's okay to crush on women in the Bible. Sure. Yeah, I mean, come on. And honestly, I mean, the women that I'm pulling out, I'm not crushing on. Oh, dude, I'm totally crushing on mine. Okay. Like, all of them. Except for Esther. I'm I'm not really crushing on... You're not crushing on Esther? She's so good. Except for Esther. I'm not really crushing... Well, I'm crushing on Mary Magdalene a little bit, too. I guess. (laughs) Who isn't? Right? Seriously. (laughs) Anybody here know Mary? (laughs) Who doesn't? <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> From the movie Risen. Yeah, it's a great movie. You need to go watch that. It's awesome. Oh, man. But, yeah, so uh, <laughs> it's so weird to rank women. My face is, is like red doing this I, already. I, lo- I love it. This is I love so it. funny. Okay, so <sighs> uh, I am a David. Um, <laughs> so like my namesake in the Bible. Sure. I love me some women. Me too. <laughs> So we're going to be talking about uh, the women of the Bible that we really love and uh, why you should be like them. <laughs> I feel like there should be another segue here oh. or something. Okay. So do you want to go first? Yes. All well, right. I can. You do your first. How about we do that? You do one and then I'll do one. Okay. Well, that's awesome. We should, we should have talked about that before we recorded. No. But go ahead. Great. You do one and then I'll do one. So you start. Okay. Embarrass so, yourself and then I'll go ahead and. Embarrass myself. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> oh, I will definitely embarrass myself. I'll before. become even more undignified yes, than this. I will this. become more <laughs> <laughs> All right, David. Mc, uh, Stop getting undressed, David. Mc, Quit it. McCall Quit is it. not I, on my list. I don't want to see your loincloth. McCall is not on my list. Oh. So. Bummer. But, okay, but Mary is. Yes. Which, which one? one? <laughs> Mary, the mother of Jesus. Oh, man. So I'm starting with her. Um, so. I don't know. This is like a mommy complex type of thing. I don't know. It's weird. But we've already talked to... What are you doing? <laughs> I'm laughing so hard. <laughs> okay. Oh, I can't stop. Okay, we've already ahead. talked about Mary. Yes. Okay, we've already talked about this Mary. Mary, Mother of Jesus. So I won't elaborate too much on her. Okay. Except for I can't do a list of women in the Bible and not include her because aside from the fact that she mothered our Savior, yes, which is huge... Uh, <laughs> it's a kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. Uh, she's kind of a big thing. Yeah. But um, aside from that, I love this woman so much just because, okay, here's an ongoing thread. It's probably going to be going through both of our lists. Yep. If you are on fire for Jesus, if you if your heart is so passionate for Jesus, you can't stand it, you're going to make the list. Sure. Like, And these women... It's like the guys are all doubtful. It's really weird. There are, you know, you got the spectrum of guys. You got guys who are on fire for God. And then you got guys that just don't quite get it. And there's tons of those. But it seems like when when the Holy Scripture, when the Holy Spirit gives us these stories of these women, man, these women <laughs> get it. Mm-hmm. And like they're so in love with God, it's unreal. And that is why Mary makes my list. 
<clears throat> so going back to our episode that we did just recently, the Magnificent on the Magnificat, uh, Magnificat, whatever you, Cot. whatever it is, um, not Catholic, um, but Luke one verse forty six through forty nine mm-hmm. basically explains why I love this woman so much. So she doesn't get it whenever the Holy, whenever the um, Whenever the angel comes and says, this is going to happen to you, <clears throat> she's like, okay, I'll be that. You know, it's kind of a weird response. It's like, okay, I'll, I'll do that. But it's not until she goes to visit, visit Elizabeth that it actually becomes a real thing for her. Yeah, it's a reality whenever, yeah. And so, and, and like I said, we're kind of recapping her other episode. But she sings this song, mm. which to me is a portrait of who she is. Of who she is yeah. and of what a godly, passionate woman does. And the spirit in her comes out. And so uh, Luke 1, verse 46 through 49, and Mary sang this song. I'm reading from the Passion Translation <laughs> this time, which I love. And Mary sang this song. My soul is ecstatic, overflowing with praises to God. My spirit burst with joy over my life-giving God. For he set his tender gaze upon me, his lowly servant girl. And from here on, everyone will know that I've been favored and blessed. The mighty one has worked a mighty miracle for me. Holy is his name. Of course, this isn't all of her songs. She continues to, to go on about how great God is and how, how merciful and gracious he is. But I just love the fact that uh, she talks about, this is her soul song. This is her basically saying, my soul rejoices in him uh, because he has seen to grant me a favor, and I'm just a lowly servant. And, uh, of course, Elizabeth kind of echoes the same thing. We went through all that. But uh, this is the main reason why I chose Mary, the mother of Jesus, is not necessarily because of her nurturing or mother motherly abilities or whatever it is she did after Jesus was born. I just love this response because this gives you a, a snapshot of Mary's character and why the Holy Spirit chose her. Mm. And that is because she was so passionate for God and so humble in his face that she was blessed by him. So, Amen. number one for me. Awesome. Or first one for me. Well, since you're going to do Mary, first off, I'm going to do her predecessor in a lot of ways um, to begin with, Hannah. Yes. Um, and so the reason why, and I, I'm not crushing on Hannah, but I love, I love the story of Hannah, and I love who she is as 100% devoted as well. Mm. Completely <clears throat> on fire for God, and she shows that. So um, the story goes: um, she's married to a man named Elkaniah, um, Elkanah, Elkanah. Yeah, yeah. I said I was wrong. <clears throat> Elkanah, um, and Elkanah has um, two wives. Right? Hannah is one, and Peniah is another. And Hannah wasn't able to have children, but Peniah was. And they used to go up every year and offer their sacrifices like good Jews did. Yeah. And so every year they would go up, and uh, and it the Bible says that her husband loved basically Hannah more 
than her other wife. Yeah, that always seems wife. to happen, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> when you have two wives, you're going to end up <laughs> Gotta like, pick one. I mean, seriously. So, uh, anyways. Um, it depends and, on your mood. And Hannah was always um, brokenhearted uh, because she wasn't able to have a kid. It was and, a big uh, thing in their culture. That's right. And so one morning while she was sitting around crying, Eli comes up to her and talks to her. And it ends up, uh, not to to push the, the story too long, but it ends up that Hannah makes makes a promise. And her promise is, if you give me a child, <coughs> I will devote him to you all the days of his life. Um, verse 11, she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. No razor shall touch his head. So she prays that. Nazarite. Yeah, na- takes a Nazarite vow for her son, yes. right? Um, and then... Eli thinks she's drunk at some point. <laughs> uh, she said, and she was wailing. That's how bad she was wailing. And um, basically, Eli says, go in peace. God of Israel is going to grant your position that you made for him. And then she goes home, and she conceives and has a son, mm. names him Samuel. Samuel becomes one of the most important prophets in the Old Testament. Yes. Um, he he's a guide and a huge deal in in the Old Testament, uh, and so, but that's not the end of of Hannah's story. As soon as she has him, she she says, "Okay, I'm going to wean him, and I'm going to bring him right back to to right. God." And so she does. She <clears throat> weans him, and then brings him back to the house to stay with the, or the house of the Lord to stay with Eli. Right, right, and he becomes a little priest. Uh, she makes little priest clothes for him and he becomes this little priest. So he grows up in the house of the Lord. Really just his whole life is dedicated to um And he's a much better priest than his predecessor. Than than Eli's Hophni kids. and Phineas. Yeah. They are like psycho kids. That's right. And yeah. so this was this was God's way of, of handling that situation. <clears throat> but beyond that, um Samuel grows up in in a relationship with God like hardly anybody else in the Old Testament. And really, it's all solely because of his mother's devotion. Mm-hmm. When you think about it, yeah, he wouldn't have he wouldn't have grown up in that way. And so, and the reason I call her Mary's predecessor is because Hannah actually has a prayer in the Old Testament that that is a mere representation of Mary's prayer, yes, the Magnificent. Yes. And so, this and Mary is, would have definitely had like access to this. She would have known right. this song. So, this is an inspiration. It's called Hannah's Prayer, um, verse one of chapter two. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exults in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more or no more so very proudly. Let not the arrogant come from your mouth. Arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven. She who has many children is forlorn. 
The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts up the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit, inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he sets the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. It's so such a mirror of what Mary says. Right. It's all about God loves the weak. Right. And and God supports the poor. Right. The and, humble. Yes, and those that humble themselves before him will be exalted and those that are exalted before him are going to be humbled. And it's the message of the gospel when it's you that, look at it. what Jesus taught all the time. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> the message of the gospel is putting everybody on an equal playing field. The reality is is that God loves us all. Yeah. It's not poor, it's not rich, it's not anything like that. And once again these girls get it. Yeah. <laughs> like so many guys so awesome. are missing it. Right. These girls get it, man. Yeah. So Okay, number 2 for me. Mary of Bethany. Yes. Okay, so... Uh, <laughs> Dude, it, that was such a hard one for me to give up. I just uh, want you to know that because <laughs> she is my, of all time, favorite. <laughs> She's the one. She but, she is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, so Mary of Bethany is uh, a friend of Jesus's. Uh, he's actually uh, friends with this whole family. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary, Martha, Lazarus. Um, so... Obviously, there's there's several stories that um, that come up in this whole thing mm-hmm. with Mary, and so I want to get a picture of who she is in this. There's also it's kind of weird, the Western culture, the the medieval church. We're going to talk about this a lot. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. The middle medieval church actually blended some of these Marys. Oh yeah, <clears throat> Mary of Bethany has often been. Uh, Mirrored to Mary Magdalene, right? Like there's like it's the same Mary. Um, later on, the church basically decided now they're not the same Mary, right? And it went separate ways. But uh, there's, I mean this this goes back to the woman caught in adultery. I mean, like all this has been attributed to the same woman, and I do believe it's not the same woman. Um, but the the cool thing I want to focus on on what we do know about Mary of Bethany is once again, the thing that I love so much about the women that I've got in my list here is that her heart for God, her heart for Jesus was on fire. Amen like, to that. Like this is, this is a woman who really got who Jesus was and the importance of the fact that he was there. Right. And here's another cool thing. She understood he was going to die for them. Yeah. That's something that, was lost on even the apostles. Like nobody got that. Yeah, like except, except from it seemed like except for Mary. The night before Jesus is gonna be crucified, he's telling them, "Hey, I'm about to die. And the way I'm going, you know where you know how to follow." Thomas is like, "I don't know where you're going. What are you talking about?" Yeah, and he was like, "Thomas, come on. Have you not been with me?" Philip is like, yeah, I don't know where you're going. <laughs> He's like, Philip, really? And Peter's like, oh, nobody's going to lay a hand on you, yeah, Lord. I mean, like, they, none of them got it. <laughs> yeah. All the guys were clueless. Right. Uh, these girls get it. And I wholeheartedly believe Mary Magdalene 
maybe even Mary of Bethany, they were there right. on that night. Because um, it, it says the disciples, not necessarily the apostles. We always right. think of the 12 guys being there. Yeah. But I think this was a bigger entourage. Anyway, getting off topic. Mary of Bethany, Luke 10, verse 38 through 42 is the most familiar reading we're going to get about Mary. Uh, it, it says here in the Passion Translation, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their journey, they came to a village where a woman welcomed Jesus into her home. Her name was Martha, and she had a sister named Mary. Mary sat down attentively before the master, absorbing every rev- uh, revelation that he shared. But Martha became exasperated by finishing the numerous household chores in preparation for her guest. So she interrupted Jesus and said, Lord, do you think it's unfair that my sister left me to do all the work by myself? You should tell her to get up and help me. And the Lord answered her, Martha, my beloved Martha, why are you upset and troubled, pulled away by all these many distractions? Are they really that important? Mary has discovered the the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. Hmm. She is undistracted, and I won't take this privilege from her. So I love the way this is worded. It gives us a good indication of, of the heart of these two women. And it's not that Martha loved Jesus any less or anything like that, but Martha was in service mode, <laughs> and which is admirable, but... It was largely because she didn't understand what Mary understood, and that is that this is the savior of the universe here. Like, this is the guy who is going to make everything new. This is what it's about, yeah. And here's another weird thing that was probably helped prompt Martha into this. It was not natural for women to sit at the feet of a rabbi. That was the disciples of the rabbi's job. Right. Like, Guys being trained to be rabbis sat at the feet of the rabbi and listened to the teachings that he had to say. Women didn't have a role in that. Right. So this was odd anyway, which also gives you an idea of what kind of woman she was, like what kind of insight that she had, that this isn't just a rabbi. This isn't just a normal guy. Right. What he's saying, he's speaking life, and he is speaking something that is going to change me and everybody, and she was so attentive, she couldn't be distracted by the household chores. Um, so we we get a, a few different um, scenarios with her. Um, obviously, their brother Lazarus dies. We all know the story right. of of Lazarus dying and 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 Jesus raising her, uh, raising him from the dead. Um, and so there is some interaction. When um, Jesus gets into Bethany after Lazarus died, that also kind of gives you some uh, a little insight into her. Um, in in John eleven, verse one through two, it says, "In the village of Bethany, there was a man named Lazarus and his sisters Mary and Martha. Mary was the one. This is interesting. I love this little insight that John mm-hmm. gives. Mary was the one who would anoint Jesus's feet with costly perfume." And dry his feet with her long hair. And one day, Lazarus became very sick to the point of death. So uh, we know the story here. Lazarus dies, and the women are weeping and freaking out over the whole thing. Um, And it's kind of funny that when you actually read it, you really see who's the most passionate, who's the most... Like Martha 
comes and wants to have a, a philosophical discussion with Jesus. Right. If you were here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, well, he's not, he's going to be resurrected. And she's like, yes, I know the resurrection, and which is good. She understood right. prophecy. She understood resurrection. She understood all this. But Mary is totally different. Like she just is crying. And right. she's freaking out. She's emotional as all get out. Yes. And that's one thing, you know, that's kind of attractive about her also is because of her emotion. But oh, yeah. Because from a guy's perspective, that you want to hold that. You want to right. comfort her. You like It's a natural inclination. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but anyway, I want to jump over because it, John's chose fit to, to tell us who this woman was, that she was not only the woman that sat at Jesus's feet while Martha worked. She was not only the brother of Lazarus, she was also the woman who brought the alabaster jar right. and broke it in onto Jesus's feet yeah. and spent basically her life savings. This is not cheap stuff. No. Like this was, she took this expensive perfume and broke it over him. Now, you can say, well, maybe she was just emotional. Maybe she was just over the top, you know. But I think it's deeper than that. She understood through Jesus' teachings, he was going to die. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly what you would do for someone who was on their deathbed. This right. is the type of thing you would do for someone that you loved who was going to pass. You would anoint them mm-hmm. with perfume and the fact that she gave this most expensive perfume in this service spoke her heart and nobody else got it. Like that's, <laughs> oh man, this is what, <laughs> it's like all these people around and they don't get it. Sure. Mary gets it. And that's one reason I love her so much is that she gets it whenever the other people don't. And so in uh, John 12, let's look at uh, the first eight verses there. It says, Six days before the Passover began, Jesus went back to Bethany, the town where he had raised Lazarus from the dead, and they had prepared a supper for Jesus. Martha served, of course, and Lazarus and Mary were among those at the table. Mary picked up an alabaster jar filled with nearly a liter of extremely rare and costly perfume, the purest extract of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet. Then she wiped them dry with her long hair, and the fragrance of that costly oil filled the house. But Judas, the locksmith, (laughs) Simon's son, the betrayer, spoke up and said, What a waste! We could have sold this perfume for a fortune and given that money to the poor. In fact, Judas had no heart for the poor. He only said this because he was a thief and in charge of the money case, and he would steal money whenever he wanted the funds given to support Jesus' ministry. But Jesus said to Judas, leave her alone. She has saved it for the time of my burial. You'll always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. And when the word got out that Jesus was not far from Jerusalem, a large crowd came to see him, and they also wanted to see Lazarus, the man that Jesus is raised from the dead. So the, the thing that I find interesting here is that he's, he tell, Jesus' response is that she knows. You all don't get it. <laughs> Everybody in this room has missed the point, but Mary got it. I'm about to die, and she's yeah. preparing me for burial. How loving, how beautiful, how gorgeous is that? Sure, you're always going to have the poor. She could have sold that and made money with it, and she could have done all kinds of stuff, 
but that wasn't like you have the savior of the universe at in your house. Right. Like there's nothing more precious than that. And Amen. Mary got it. Yeah. So I love this about her. Yeah. She was she was an amazing a picture of of somebody who was completely sold out. Mm. 100%. 100% sold out to Christ. Yes. So Anyways, all right, so, well, let's do the other Mary then. Um, I'm going to do Mary Magdalene. Now, there's a lot of mystique, a ton of mystique surrounding this chick. Um, On one end of the spectrum, there are people that actually believe that Mary was married to Jesus, right? Oh, yeah. The whole Bart Ehrman crap uh, and the missing, you know, the missing gospel and the, the whole, what was that? There's a... A Gnostic gospel that says something like about oh yeah this is Jesus. the whole Da Vinci Code thing yeah Da Vinci Code yeah. thing um, Dan then, Brown that's right and the um, was it the whole French right. whatever they are we're all offsprings of Jesus and as far as yeah <laughs> as far as actual uh, scripture there's not a whole ton of of about Mary Magdalene there's like four or five different mentions yeah um and they're important uh she's mentioned in every gospel that's mm-hmm. a big deal and um universally she well I'll get to that in a second so the way she's mentioned in every gospel is that uh, uh you can look in Luke 8 2 which is um one of the first mentions and I'll just pull that up Luke 8 2 Uh, And actually, I'll just read one. Soon afterward, uh, he went on through cities and villages proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and also some women who who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them, um, out of their means. So uh, the first mention of Mary whenever she becomes a follower of Jesus is that she had demons, seven demons in her, and mm. they were they were cast out. So yes. Mary owed a lot to Jesus. Um, later on, the, the Catholic Church, uh, in the Catholic Church tradition, again, they're going to marry Mary with Mary of Bethany yes. for a while, and then they're going to take Mary Magdalene apart from Mary of Bethany, and they're going to show Mary Magdalene as the person who um, was cast down at Jesus's feet. Yes, the caught woman, the, in woman, a, the woman caught, caught in adultery, yes. cast down at Jesus's feet. Um, it's a great story. It's awesome story, and I, I love that. And it could be true. We don't have anything that that says it wasn't. Uh, other than it's it's just not mentioned in scripture that that was her. Um, so we can't say that it was. Um, but the big thing, the reason they do that is to try to show how um, redemptive Jesus is, right? Yes. And use Mary Magdalene as a picture of God's redemption of who who she became versus who she was. Well, I don't know about you, but seven demons in you <laughs> is just as bad as being caught in adultery. Oh, yeah. And so here Mary Magdalene is walking around with seven demons, and Jesus casts them out, and she devotes her life to following him, pays her own way and follows him. She was a devoted apostle or a, a devoted disciple of Jesus, not apostle, devoted disciple of Jesus, followed him her entire life, was named there at the crucifixion with yes. uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the other Mary, Salome. Um, mm-hmm. 
And the the thing I love most about Mary, so Mary was a faithful, devoted disciple. Um, there's also speculation that she was the other Mary that wiped her hair with uh, on Jesus' feet, um, because in the other three Gospels, it's not mentioned who it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, <laughs> and also, it looks like. From if you're if you're trying to correlate these gospels, it looks like there's several different instances of this happening, not just one. Right, you got the one with the tears. Right, that the, happens at Simon the Pharisee's house. Exactly, and that's what I'm talking which about. Which is a little different than the, than the right. And a lot of people equate that with Mary Magdalene. Right, um, so, which would go along with the fact that if she was caught in adultery, that she fits. could have very well been a prostitute, which that refers to her basically right. as a prostitute. Prostitute. Mm-hmm. A sinful woman, a disgusting yes. sinful woman, and so, anyways. But the big thing about Mary, the thing, the thing I love most about her, is that she is the first person that the resurrected Jesus goes to. Mm. <laughs> if there's ever a doubt, if you're a woman listening, if there's an, ever a doubt in your mind that the Bible is misogynistic, misogyn- misogynistic, <laughs> yeah. Point to this as reference. The basis of Jesus' resurrection lies on the witness of a woman. Amen. That's a very important thing. And so, and not just any Nothing woman. Nothing of good reason. Right. Like if we, like we would be, what we've been saying, what are these women like? Sure. These women get it. Right. The guys are lost. <laughs> In a lot like of the ways. The guys are totally out of the picture. Yeah. And so, yes, it's a big thing to me. Like the Bible is so pro sure uh women. I mean it really is. Yeah. And and so yeah, this is a perfect example. Of that. Right. So John chapter 20 is the one I pull f- uh from the most but mm-hmm. now on the first day of the week Mary Magdalene came to the tune uh in other scriptures we read that she had different people with her. Um I can't remember. Mary Salome I think was there again mm-hmm. and somebody else uh, I don't remember. So anyways, came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran and went to Simon Peter. She told Peter, Peter had a foot race. <laughs> uh, yeah. And they got back down there and they realized that Jesus was gone. They heard uh, an angel believed he must have rose from the dead. But if you skip down to verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and she wept. She stood to look into the tomb, and then she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one the head, one the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Why? What are you, Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've led him. And I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling for me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell, say to them, I, am, I have ascended to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So Mary Magdalene is a very actually important, extremely important woman in Scripture. Mm. Um, apart from 
Mary, the mother of Jesus, I think she's one of the most important women in Scripture because she's the the one that identifies the resurrected Jesus. Yes, and so that's a big deal for he me. He entrusted the news, the with good her. news of yes. the gospel that Jesus had raised from the dead to her, and so you know she's kind of a big deal. That's yeah. why I like her. Awesome. Next, okay. Next, number three for me um, is once more a rerun. Okay, Leah. Yes, <laughs> it's a great story, so, by the way. I loved. I, I cannot tell you enough how much I loved your sermon on on that. It blew my mind. I'd never really focused on her before. I'd always focused on Rachel. Yes, because everybody does. Yeah. And so it, beautiful it was just Rachel. Cool. I love that. But Leah's beautiful. Because Rachel was hot, right? Yes. Leah is beautiful <laughs> in a Leah. completely different way. <laughs> and, and she's beautiful in the same way that makes these other women beautiful. And that is she gets it. Yeah. Like when you get it, that's hot. <laughs> All right, man. Okay, so calming down a little bit there, bro. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so um, this is once again a rerun. We did talk on the show about uh, the worth of a woman. I think was the name of the episode that we yes. did, and we talked about uh, Leah came up in that whole conversation. The reason why I love Leah so much, partly, is compassion. Mm-hmm. Uh, because she was overlooked, be- simply because Rachel was good looking, right? That seems to be like <laughs> the reason. There's no other reason given. That's in scripture. the reason given in scripture, right? <laughs> is that she's hot? It wasn't as hot as Rachel, right? And so she didn't compare <laughs> to her sister. Yeah, and so she kind of she gets the shaft in this whole situation. She <laughs> ends up uh, marrying Jacob first. But deceitfully, like her dad messes with this whole situation. Can you imagine that picture of her father on even. the wedding night? It's like, all right, you're going to slip in there. Just don't worry. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. It'll be cool. Don't yeah, even worry about it. He'll accept you. Yeah. Um, so Ugh. messed up. I, I don't even... This story messes with my head so much. I was like, I don't even know, <laughs> understand how that happens. There must have been a lot of wine at the wedding. There had to have been. I don't know what's going on. But anyway, he wakes up the next morning to realize this isn't Rachel. Like, he consummated the wedding. I mean, he, he, this marriage with Leah. Right. And realizes, oh, I married the wrong woman. Um, <laughs> Oops. Yeah. And of course, the thing is, everyone focuses on this this romantic passage that says, but his love for Rachel was so great that he worked another seven years and it seemed as of a day. While poor Rachel is kind of caught holding the bag. You mean Leah? Leah, sorry. And she's like, and she's mothering uh, his children. Oh, yeah. And so when he finally does get Rachel... um, Leah takes a back seat to the whole thing. Right. But Rachel can't have kids. Right. And as a woman, we, this goes back to what you were saying about Hannah, as a woman in this time frame, that was your worth. That was your value, was how many children can you produce? Right. And Leah wanted the love of Jacob. Never seemed to get it. <laughs> she kept thinking, if I have more kids with him and and he has progeny through me, he'll love me. Right. So her whole goal is to get the love of this man. Sure. While his love is is enamored upon this woman who can't have children. <laughs> right. And even though she has his love, she's also burdened because she can't have kids. Right. And she's like, if I can't have kids, I'm of no use. So both of these women are pretty miserable. 
And but here's I want to read the passage to me that just nails it for me for Leia. Sure. And why she is um, both uh, someone I have a lot of compassion for and I have a lot of love for because of what she says here at the end. And uh, this is comes from Genesis 29, verse 31 to 35. There's a, all this dispute going on between her and Rachel. And uh, she keeps try, she keeps having kids by Jacob. And verse 31 says, When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, which to me, that's just a heartbreaking sentence. Mm. <laughs> it's like God loves her. God sees what's inside of her. He, yeah. he knows what kind of heart this woman has. And this idiot... Because Jacob really is the idiot. Well, the whole way through. From start to finish. Just a jerk. (laughs) Jacob's one of the most unredeemable characters in Scripture. Absolutely. But he is giving this great responsibility because he becomes father of the... He becomes Israel. He is Israel. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. But just leave it up to God. Mind-blowing. To to use a guy (laughs) like this to do something like that. But anyway, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to become pregnant Mm. while Rachel remained childless. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. For she said, now listen to what her thinking is, the Lord has looked with pity on my oppressed condition and surely my husband will love me now. Mm. She became pregnant again, had another son. She said, because the Lord heard that I was unloved, He gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Verse 34, she became pregnant again and had another son. And she said, now, this time, my husband will show me affection because I've given birth to three sons for him. And that is why she named him Levi. (laughs) But here's the verse that nails it for me. Verse 35, she became pregnant again and had another son. And she said, this time... I will just praise the Lord. That is why she named him Judah. (laughs) Then she stopped having children. Judah. Is a big deal. Really? That's the line of Jesus. That's right. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Okay. You were unloved. Leah, I'm so sorry for Mm. you. I'm so sorry that you were so unloved by your ridiculous husband. But you know what? God knows better. And the greatest man who ever walked on this planet existed in this lineage because you made this statement. This time, I will praise the Lord. He's of your line. Yes. The redeemer of all the world came from Leah's line. Yes, you are the true lover of God. That's right. Forget Jacob. That's right. You've got a greater lover. Mm. And he gave you a greater blessing. That's right. I love Leah. (laughs) Beautiful. All right, so if we're going to keep in the line of the lineage, man, this is kind of working out, (laughs) by the way. it's awesome. So let's talk about Ruth then. Okay. Now, um, I cannot say that I'm attracted to Ruth, especially because that's the name of my mother. Uh, but, uh, uh, I am definitely attracted to the, the idea and the story of Ruth. I was going to say, I, I wouldn't, I didn't know where you were going because I'm thinking Ruth is pretty attractive to me in, yeah, the, in the scripture. Well, but I did I mean, not realize that I didn't even think about her, your mom. Ruth. I can't ever imagine anybody except for my mother being named Ruth. It's just, okay, anyways. So, but going back to the story, Ruth is an amazing story in the Bible. And it is, it is a story that flies in the face of legalists. 
<laughs> oh yes, <laughs> oh yes. So uh, l- let's just g- get that out of the way. Um, so if you haven't read the story of Ruth, you should go and read it in the Old Testament. Um, I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version. Basically, what happens is this chick named Naomi and her husband, who are um, uh, Jews from Bethlehem, yes, go to Moab during the time of a famine. And they live there, and while they're there, their two sons grow up, and they end up doing the unthinkable. Yes, the unlawful. The un yeah unlawful marrying Moabite women, Ruth. Dun, dun, dun. That's right, Ruth and Oprah. Ruth is a Moabite woman, and Oprah is a Moabite woman, and so during Orpah. Oprah, is it Oprah? Right, it's Orpa. Orpa. I need to go back and read Ruth. (laughs) I've always thought it was Oprah, and I always laughed a little bit when I thought, you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. I'm like, you Moabite. No, uh, is it Orpah? Yeah, it is Orpah. Gee whiz. That's cool, though. I I like that. so (laughs) embarrassing. My whole life, my whole 35 years of existence. Anyways, okay, so Ruth and uh, Orpah. And so uh, during that time, uh, her husband, uh, Naomi's husband, dies. Um, and then the boys die. Uh, they're still in Moab, and the two sons are died. Which, so. by the way, this is a little tidbit of uh, trivia. Their names, I'm trying to remember what they were. They were like <sighs> Malan and... I can't remember. Anyway, I'd their look. names mean like sick and dying. Like or something. <laughs> Like, if you're going to marry a guy. Don't marry sick. <laughs> don't marry dying. What's the matter with you? Like, I just thought that was, you know, kind of funny. But anyway, <laughs> because that's what happens. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Anyway, continue. So it's irrelevant. Naomi decides, <laughs> you know what? Um, I have nothing connecting me to Moab. I'm going to go back to uh, Bethlehem, where I'm from. And I'm going to take a presidency there, and uh, that's going to be it. Um, and so in verse 8 of chapter 1 of Ruth, you read, But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have uh, uh, dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you grant that you may find rest, each of you to, your house, to the house of your husband. And then she kissed them and lifted up her voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, and go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Mm. Uh, Verse 16, Ruth said, Do not argue with me. Uh, or do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me more also if anything but death parts me from you. This is a big deal. And the reason is is because you got to understand this um, 
this culture. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were a widow and you were old and you had no family, oh well, that was it. Yeah, you were done with. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly where Naomi finds herself. Yes, and not only Naomi, but Ruth and Orpah. But the thing is, is Ruth and Orpah are young. They're yeah, young yeah. mobile they can women, remarry. and they can remarry. Mm-hmm. So th- that's a that's a great thing. But it's a big deal that these guys are, are that that uh, Naomi was was an old woman, and she's going to return to Bethlehem, and she's going to live a life of extreme poverty and extreme struggle, and then she's going to die um, poor and hurt and and famished, and so. Ruth basically connects with her and, and clings to her and has a, lives a life of such loyalty to her that she's willing to sacrifice this idea of going to a foreign land that she's never been in mm. and living with um, Naomi in extreme poverty in order to um, to protect her and be with her. Again, this is the picture of her heart. Right. Like this is showing you what's inside this woman. Yeah. That she's willing to be self-sacrificing. She's right. she's willing to be everything Jesus teaches us to be. Right? Exactly. So when they get to Bethlehem, the whole story is uh, God has provided a way for widows uh, to survive. And one of the ways is um, there's a law that says if there's anything um, left over from gleaning in the harvest, that the women can collect it and make bread out of it. And so Ruth goes and starts gleaning and uh, starts following after the, the, the harvesters and taking... Um, wheat from a, a dude by the name of Boaz's fields, yeah. And so Boaz, who's a kinswoman, who's a, I'm a kinsman, kinsman. That's right, a kinsman of Ruth. And uh, <clears throat> Boaz has this interaction with Ruth, and uh, you know, I don't know. I'm, I imagine that it went pretty well, but the first interaction was good, and then Ruth goes home, tells Naomi, and Naomi's like, "Ah, <laughs> I got this idea. Here's what yes. you're gonna do." Whenever there's you know, a law, there's a law that says <laughs> that he can marry you, and so basically, the end of the story goes: uh, Ruth lays at his feet, covers herself with his garment, which we've talked about. Um, this is a this is a this is a symbol that Ruth is telling, basically saying to Boaz. It's not a sexual thing. Ruth is telling Boaz, "Listen." Um, I want your lineage to become my lineage. Mm-hmm. Where you go, I want to become, uh, I want to go. It's basically the same thing that she told Naomi. Right. And so verse 6 of chapter 3, we read, So she went down to the threshing floor and did just what her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went <laughs> to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman was laying at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant. This is beautiful, this line. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. <laughs> and he said, "May Great the, picture. That's right. May, the ble- so may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have uh, made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Mm. So he knew exactly what she was implying with this whole uncovering of the feet thing. Sure. So this was a Jewish culture, uh, the hem of your garment, was sewn, your lineage was sewn upon the hem of your garment. Right. And this is why it was such an offense whenever 
uh, David cut off Saul's, Saul's yeah. hem of his garment because right. it was an offense to the lineage. Uh, Jesus would get on to the Pharisees years <laughs> later for Im- broadening, broadening their <laughs> yeah. hems of their garments right. because this was a bragging right. You sure. know, I'm of this lineage and blah, blah, blah. And so by her uncovering his feet and covering herself with it, basically, it was saying, I want to be part of your lineage. Right. I want to be in the, in this with you. And the thing is, is Boaz knew what, what type of woman of character mm. Ruth was. He, yes. he had been watching her, and his kinsmen, his friends have been watching her, and they knew what she was. And so what's crazy, and this is, this is why I say it flies in the face of legalists, is this Moabite woman becomes later on Boaz's uh, wife, mm-hmm. and then they have Obed, right? Yes. And Obed has Jesse. Yes. And Jesse has David. Mm. He's of the line of the of Judah. Yes. And I mean Ruth is the great 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 grandmother <laughs> of Jesus. <laughs> and she's yeah. a Moabite. Yes. That makes no sense if you're trying to follow your law because your law tells you never mo- marry a Moabite. Yes. Have nothing to do with a Moabite. The Moabites are dirty Gross people. This was like not implied. (laughs) This was specifically mentioned more than once prior to this. Right. You do not marry Moabites. Right. And so Ruth is a picture of redemption in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love her so much. She is is a picture of a sinner redeemed by a kinsman redeemer. This is Jesus. This is a parallel. The book of Ruth is all it is is the gospel in the Old Testament supplanted right in the Old Testament. So good. It's the. Stuff. It's, it's our marriage with Jesus. Amen. It, I mean, it, it is a beautiful book. Yeah. Um, okay. So you like Warrior Women? Yeah, do it. Wonder, Wim, Wonder Woman? Yes. That whole type of thing? She's kind of hot. Okay. Let's talk I'm not going to lie. Let's talk about Deborah. Mm, Deborah, Deborah is the only female judge of Israel. That's right. That has to say something. <laughs> um, Here's the cool thing in the story of Deborah. The story of Deborah is really the story of a redeemer by the name of Barak, who is a reluctant deliverer of Israel. So Israel is is under oppression. Once again, the uh, the Syrian army is wreaking havoc on them. This great warrior by the name of Sisera and his 700 iron chariots... (laughs) I mean, these were tanks. Right. So they would just mow over all their enemies. Right. Right. And they are just wreaking havoc on Israel. And Deborah says to Barak, you have been chosen. You need to gather an army and you need to go fight this man. Barak is very reluctant. Okay, I guess. Uh, She's like, no, no, you need to go to the mountain. Mount... um, in uh, the Jezreel Valley, you need to go to the mountain and you need to be prepared to go to war. Right. And Barak is like, I'll tell you what, if you come with me, I'll go. <laughs> Hold my hand. So think about this for a minute. You have this guy who's going to be a deliverer of Israel, but he is relying on this woman. Right. He's relying on Deborah. That tells you a lot about her character. She goes to war with him. Like she actually goes to the mountain with him, with this army. Now here's the here's the cool thing that happens. God does all the work. <laughs> They're all up on top of the mountain. Sisera's army is coming through the valley of Jezreel along the Kidron uh the Kidron Valley. 
down the Kidron River, and they start up the hill. So we get the whole we have to piece together the story from chapter four and five right. of Judges. Um, because it, and it's not given linearly. Like some of it is we get in the song that is sung after the battle. Yeah, it's so confusing, some of that. Um, yeah. But yeah, what happens is if you piece all this together, uh, the army is on the mountain and they're getting ready to fight this unwinnable battle. <laughs> right. And it starts to rain. Right. Now, <laughs> Deborah says, look, the Lord has gone before you. Go, fight. Right now. Right now. <laughs> yeah. So now you have this army of iron chariots in a river valley. They're during stuck. the rain. They can't do anything. They're getting stuck. They're trying to come up a mountain to right. fight their enemy, staring, going up a mountain into the rain while Israel's army is coming down the mountain with armed and ready to fight. Right. So basically they run over this uh, Syrian army. Uh, Sisera flees and he ends up in the house of a woman named JL. And she... <laughs> She's hot, by the way, too, by the way. <laughs> yeah, she almost made my list. Oh, JL. Uh, anyway, she ends up uh, telling this guy, hey, you can have safe haven here. Take a nap. Would you like some more milk? <laughs> anyway, he goes to sleep and she nails his head to the floor <laughs> with, a, with a tent peg. It's a great story. Okay, but anyway... Uh, so Deborah, along with Barack, are the champions of the day. Yep. And so here's what I want to I want to do to to focus on Deborah because to me, once again, this is a woman who has a heart for God so much so that she's willing to go to battle. That's so unfeminine, right? That's not the normal. Oh, oh, definitely not the normal thing. Right. I mean this. This is a Wonder Woman, but she was willing to take it up when nobody else would. Yes, and she was, and she was, she had to encourage the deliverer to deliver, and that has she is the the woman behind the story. Right. <clears throat> okay, so chapter five. I'm not gonna read the whole thing. But I'm gonna read a different a couple of different pieces of it because this is a song that she sings right in in response to this whole event. Uh, so I want to look at uh, here the, um, let's see, just the first 13 verses at first. It says, on that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abon, uh, Abinoam, sang this victory song. When the leaders took the lead in Israel, when the people answered the call to war, praise the Lord. Hear, O kings, pay attention, O rulers, I will sing to the Lord. Okay, so this is, you're already starting to hear right. the heart in this woman. I love this. She's like, sing to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, God of Israel. Oh, Lord, when you departed from Seir, when you marched from Edom's plains, the earth shook and the heavens poured down and the clouds poured down rain. The mountains trembled. Before the Lord, the God of Sinai, before the Lord God of Israel, in the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, caravans disappeared, travelers had to go on winding side roads, <laughs> warriors were scarce, they were scarce in Israel until you arose, Deborah, mm. until you arose as a motherly protector in Israel. God chose new leaders. Then fighters appeared in the city gates. But I swear, not a shield or spear could be found 
among 40 military units in Israel, my heart went out to Israel's leaders, to the people who answered the call to war. Praise the Lord. You who ride on light-colored female donkeys, who sit on saddle blankets, you who walk on the road, pay attention. Hear the sound of those who divide the sheep among the watering places. There they tell of the Lord's victorious deeds, the victorious deeds of his warriors in Israel. Then the Lord's people went down to the city gates. Wake up! Wake up, Deborah! Wake up! Wake up and sing a song. <laughs> Get up, Barak. Capture your prisoners of war, son of Ab- Abinoam. Then the survivors came down to the mighty ones, and the Lord's people came down to me as warriors. I just love her heart in this. Like, you can hear her passion. Like, this is the only psalm I know of written by a woman. Right. And, well, besides, you know, the Hannah and the... What, sure, Mary. But this is very much a psalm. Like, this is... This right. is, they're singing this. They're they're going crazy. Um, so it, I want to drop down to verse because it goes on and on. Uh, but I want to look at verse uh, nineteen. She says, "Kings came and they fought. The kings of Canaan fought at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo, but they took no silver as plunder from the sky. The stars fought." From their paths in the heavens, they fought against Sisera. Mm. The Kishon River carried them off, and the river confronted them. The Kishon River steps on the necks of the strong. The horses' hooves pounded the ground. The stallions galloped madly. Call judgment down on Meraz, says the Lord's angelic messenger. Be sure to call judgment down on those who live there, because... They did not come to help in the Lord's battle, to help in the Lord's battle against the warriors. The most rewarded of women should be Jael, the wife of Hebar the Kenite. (laughs) She should be the most rewarded of women who live in tents. He asked for water. She gave him milk in a bowl (laughs) fit for a king. She served him curds. Her left hand reached for the tent peg, and her right hand the workman's hammer. And she hammered Sisera, she scattered his skull, she smashed his head, she drove that tent peg through his temple. I think I think Deborah's black. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> She's got some soul, She's is what you're saying. She's got some soul yeah, in her. I love this. Sure. So between her feet, he collapsed. He fell limp. He was lifeless. Between her feet, he collapsed and fell limp. In the spot where he collapsed, there he fell limp, violently murdered. <laughs> and she goes on. I just love this. Like It's a great story. Deborah's not only a leader. Like, she has a lot. Everyone came to her. For their issues of judgment. Sure. Like, that's why they were called a judge. judge. Mm-hmm. She sat under the palm tree and and listened to what people had to say and lovingly nurtured them. But when war came, she led that. And she was ready to stand up and fight. And what does she do in this song? She gives all the glory to God. Yeah. She puts it... She, Barack was right there. She hardly even mentions the guy. Yeah. But... <laughs> But I just love the fact that she is just going crazy in this song Amen. to uh, God. And so, once again, 
a heart for God right. makes these women just so awesome. Absolutely. So uh, since we're talking about amazing battles fought, this one was more of a, um, what do you call, uh, a, a battle without using any swords, diplomatic venture. Okay. But uh, my next one is Esther. Ah, Hadassah. Yes. So, dude, Esther to me is probably one of the most attractive women in the Bible, period. Oh, she is beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I love this story. Absolutely. And literally, phys- physically and spiritually, just an absolutely beautiful person. And so, yes, the story is, so Babylon carries off the Jews into captivity, right? Mm-hmm. After Babylon, the Medo-Persians come in. Yes. And they're, they're in control. And so during that time, most of the Jews are released. Um, they can go back to the city, although most of them choose to stay in, in the place. Where, I mean, it's 70 some, some odd years. So you would get acclimated to that culture and you would stay. Um, so during that time... Um, the capital used to be in uh, Babylon. It got moved to Susa um, under the reign of Ahasuerus. Yes. And uh, Ahasuerus was the king, and he had a chick, uh, a wife by the name of Vashti. Vashti. Yes. <laughs> Poor Vashti. But she's she's actually pretty noble, too. How how so? I've never thought she of her. Because she refuses to dance before. Like, he's wanting her to... Uh, Entertain. Yes. So, yeah, he's like, he threw these elaborate parties, right? Mm -hmm. And during these elaborate parties, one of the things he did was he called for his wife. My wife's really hot. Hey, you guys should check out my wife. Hey, uh, (laughs) hey, go get my wife and tell her to come here. And so... Do the dance of the seven veils. She's like, "Uh, no, you're drunk. (laughs) Don't. (laughs) I'm not going to do it. And so, basically, she refuses her husband. Mm -hmm. And you know uh, he has a pen- tendency tendency towards violence, mm. and so he has her head chopped off. And uh, of course, I mean, who, what husband wouldn't chop off the wife of <laughs> the wife of, of, <laughs> the, head of the head of his wife, wife whenever uh, uh, she disobeyed him? I'm joking. <laughs> if you're listening, Artaxerxes, I would never chop off. Oh, that's the historical name, by the way. Artaxerxes, that's uh, right. Uh, uh, Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus. So anyways, yeah, our Xerxes or Ahasuerus, whatever you want to call him, uh, has a role to fill. He has a he has a new spot open for a new wife. <laughs> Who wouldn't want this job? I mean, yes. what happened to the predecessor? Who cares? It's a life of luxury, right? So anyways, so he searches around high and low. He gets all the beautiful babes all over the, the known world to come and uh, stand before him after 12 months of beauty treatments. Yeah. And luck would have it that this uh this hottie with a body by the name of Esther <laughs> becomes the next queen. And Esther is a Jew. Mm-hmm. And Artaxerxes doesn't know this. It's not a big pronounced thing. In fact, Mordecai, who is Esther's uh raised Esther, who is Esther's cousin, yes, um suggested that Esther keep that quiet. Yeah. So anyways, fast forward a little bit. Haman, this dude, becomes the uh, king's right-hand man, and uh, he's kind of very proud about that idea. Mm-hmm. And Mordecai, uh, he has people bow to him, and Mordecai refuses to bow to him. Haman gets a beef with Mordecai and decides, you know what? I'm going to issue a verdict that all the Jews 
in Medio Persia are going to die. Well, you know, he's a descendant of King Agag. Haman, he's an Agite. Oh, that makes sense. And so, yeah. So, uh, you remember when Saul was supposed to kill all those Amalekites? Right. And didn't do it? Didn't do it. That's Mm -hmm. one of them. So, Haman's a problem. Thanks a lot. Song. Right. So Haman's got this serious like deal, man. He he hates <clears throat> Mordecai and so he hates all the Jews. So he sets up the last month of the year as a killing spree for all the Jews. And uh so Mordecai, when he finds out, he tears his clothes and then he sends word uh well Esther gets word of it that Mordecai's upset and Esther's like, Why are you upset, bro? And uh and Mordecai basically tells her what's gonna happen and then says this, um Let's see, chapter four of Esther, by the way. Yes. Chapter four, starting in verse 13. Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that the king's pal- that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent in this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. Mordecai had great faith. Mm, yes. He knew that God was going to spare the Jews because God had promised that all the way back with Abraham. Yeah. God was going to take care of these Jews. It it didn't matter what, what happened. God was going to make sure that it happened. And so Mordecai had faith. It will rise from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go Gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. The first thing that she does is ask them to pray for her, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, that's just hot. Yes. It's <laughs> so awesome that <laughs> she wants them to pray. Hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, nights, or day. Because, by the way, Esther knew what had happened to Vashti. Mm, yes. Right? And oh, man. It's not like she could just. Well, the, the whole tradition was you approach the king, the king holds out a scepter, that means you can approach him and talk to him. Yes. He doesn't. I mean, it was a different thing. It's not like you don't um, don't think of it as a traditional marriage like you have with your <clears throat> wife today where she can come in and nag at you, you know what I mean, <laughs> or anything like that. Yes. This was the thing where— You were property. You were You were owned. Yes. And if he wanted to kill you, he could kill you. If he wanted to rape you, he could rape you. He could do whatever he wanted to you. Mm-hmm. You were property. And so— uh, this is a big deal that Mordecai is asking her to help out in this matter is a big deal. Pray and fast for three days and nights, and um, I and my young woman will fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And this is what she says, and if I perish, I perish. <laughs> She's willing to surrender her life for the salvation of her kinsmen. So good. That's a beautiful picture. And yes. so um, that's exactly what she does. So she cooks some supper for the king. After Okay, so the other thing is, is this woman is brilliant. Yes. She is a very wise mind. And she doesn't go straight at it and say, hey, this dude Haman, your best bro over here, he's a jerk and he's going to try to kill all my people. She didn't approach it like that. She waited and she... She waited for God's timing, mm-hmm. um, and and it was definitely God's timing. For example, uh, Mordecai had uncovered this plot uh, for the king to be killed earlier on, and he had saved the king's life. 
And all that that was recorded in the annals of the king, in other words, the king's diary, he didn't do anything to to bless Mal... Uh, um, um, What's his name? Uh, he didn't do anything to bless Mordecai because of it. Yeah. And so, anyways, that plays into the story because Esther approaches the king. King's like, come on. And Esther cooks dinner. And she says, uh, I just, I want to cook dinner yeah, for you. She knows how to play this game. That's right. I just yeah. want to, I want to take care of you and mm-hmm. Haman. Why don't you invite Haman? So, cooks dinner yeah. for the king and Haman, right? Yeah. Takes care of him. And then he's like, whatever you ask me, even up to half my kingdom, I'll give it to you. And she says, why don't you come back next night? She doesn't do it right then. Yeah. She waits another night. And that night, that night is when the king reads in the annals about Mordecai because he can't sleep because God makes him not sleep and reads in the annals about Mordecai and decides to allow Mordecai to be paraded around. Also, that night is the night that Haman puts up a spike to ready to do it, <laughs> ready yeah. to stab Mordecai with. So this is a great story. <laughs> I mean, about Haman having to timing and God that's right. just working. It's, it's this huge thing, and by the end of it, so it ends up with Esther revealing the plot of Haman, mm-hmm. and there's a traitor in your midst. There's a traitor yeah. in your midst, and showing her, showing him who Haman is. It. It ends with the king acknowledging uh, the lineage of the Jews and and actually actively working towards their preservation. Yes, and it ends towards uh, she saves the nation. One of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest men, Mordecai, being exalted to the right hand of the king over the entire world. Yeah, at that time, known world at that time. So because of her wisdom. And beauty and God honoring in that in the middle of all of that, God was God spared the nation. And she was a big part of that. Mm. So this story of Esther, even though it doesn't even mention the word God once, yeah. has God written all throughout it. And and Esther is so I have a crush on Esther. Esther is just an amazing person. <laughs> so yeah, definitely Esther is yeah, a very good, awesome woman. Um, yeah, and and it's you know you mentioned that the name Yahweh is not mentioned at all right. at all in the past in the whole book, and because of that, it almost didn't make canon. Right, like that's been a disputed book. Uh, it just and the main reason that the Jews consider it canon is because of Purim. Because the feast of Purim, yeah, the feast of Purim is, is that's a celebration it's a result of this. Yes, it's it's like well, we're celebrating this whole event. It might as well be in the canon. <laughs> Which you know, I don't know why that didn't make Maccabees part of canon. But oh, that's a know. good question. <laughs> but okay, so um, my my last one. Yes, my number one. Yes. Okay, so um, this is your number one. This of is, everybody, this, this is my number. This one. This is your crush. Oh wow. Okay, so I'm amazed I, by that. Well, I relate to David. Okay, King, yeah, definitely. King David. Uh, <laughs> my namesake. I love his wives. I almost had Bathsheba on this list, mm-hmm. but then I got to thinking there's really not a redeeming factor other Except than she's, she's hot. Hottie. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. She likes to bathe in the open. <laughs> Which I I can't say anything that's like uh, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Anyway, so um, uh, let's skip past okay, that. Okay, but I'm gonna talk about my favorite David wife, yeah, which is Abigail. Yeah. Okay. First, pretty same, name by the na- way. Y- yes. I love the name. Um, here's what I like about Abigail. Abigail is wise, 
and loving. Like she knows David. Like even though she's just now kind of meeting the guy, she she's heard about him. She knows what's driving him. Right. And she approaches this situation, which is very volatile, by the way. <laughs> she approaches it with such wisdom and grace. And I love the way she handles him. It's just it's so great. She's able to control it? Yeah. Okay, so here's the backstory. Here's what's going on. David's on the run uh-huh. from Saul. He's right. out in the middle of, of, of the Judah, Judea wilderness, uh, constantly on the run. He's got a band of guys with him, two, 300 guys. Right. And uh, they've been going around actually doing good deeds and helping people. And uh, it's like Robin Hood. Yeah, band of merry men. <laughs> so anyway, they come to a guy by the name of Nabal, which his name means fool. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> they come to this guy, and they're like, "Hey, we don't have any food, and you got plenty. You mind if we, if you support us?" Right. And Nabal basically says, mm, "No." <laughs> And and turns David and his men away. Now, David is in a very volatile state of mind. And he gets really PO'd at this. Like, he, he wants to take Nabal out. Like, he's telling everybody, you know what? This is about to go down. Right. I, I, we're, we're out here running from, we're on the lamb, and we're trying to do our best to help people. And this guy won't even give us food. So uh, he loses it. So in, in 1 Samuel 25, beginning in verse 21, it says, Now David had been thinking, <laughs> In vain I guarded everything that belonged to this man in the desert. I didn't take anything from him, but he's repaid my good with evil. God will severely punish David if I leave alive until morning, even one male from those who belong to him. Now, we were talking about topics, and you were just joking, and you said, let's talk about those who pisseth against the wall, <laughs> which is a King Jamesism. Yeah, I was if just you, playing, If man. you look at the King James of this it passage, says, that's what he says. leave alive one that pisses against the wall. Right, which, okay, so the I'm reading from the NET sure. here, and the NET is telling us that means men. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> obviously. So... David is way upset. He's like, look, I've done so much here. I've not harmed this man. I've done nothing that deserves the treatment that we're getting. You know what? May God severely punish me if we don't just slaughter them all tonight. (laughs) Like, I mean, he's enraged. Sure. And now Nabal's wife, Abigail, gets word of this. And she's like you know what? I think I can handle this. So she doesn't tell her husband. She goes and gets some food and supplies and loads them up on these on the donkeys and stuff. And she goes out on her own to meet David. This is an Esther moment, right? Right. This could go horribly wrong. Right. Because you're talking to a warrior. Right. And who is P.O.'d. That's right. But she is g- going to go be an ambassador. For her horrible husband, who doesn't get it, but she gets it. And that's one of the things that makes her so beautiful. So she knows how how David is. So she goes out to meet him. Uh, verse 23 says, When Abigail saw David, 
she got down quickly from the donkey, threw herself down before David, and bowed to the ground. Falling at his feet, she said, My Lord, I accept all the guilt, but please let your female servant speak with my Lord. Please listen to the words of your servant. My Lord should not pay attention to this wicked man, Nabal. He simply lives up to his name. (laughs) His name means fool, and he is indeed foolish. But I, your servant, did not see the servants that my Lord sent. Wow. So she's basically saying, had I greeted your servants, I would have supplied what they needed. Don't blame my husband because he's an idiot. (laughs) And here's one thing that's really cool. She knows that going out as a woman alone, she's going to have a better impact on this man than her husband or any other servant would. Right. Mainly because David's a woman lover. Like, he's got a soft spot for women. Obviously, if we continue to read David's life, we see how he responds to women. So she's smart in the fact that she's kind of batting the eyes at him a little bit. And... (laughs) And looking for mercy right. uh, in this. And she's basically saying, you know, don't pay attention to my husband. He's an idiot, but I'm bringing you everything that you needed uh, to begin with. She says in verse 26, now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and as surely as you live, it is the Lord who has kept you from shedding blood and taking matters into your own hands. <laughs> okay. She also knows that David is the servant of God, that he's a man after God's own heart. Right. So what does she do? She plays the God card. Right. She basically says, it's God who has given you mercy. It's God that, that uh, keeps you from shedding blood on this, on, in this matter. So she's reminding him of who he is. And then she says, now, may your enemies and those who seek to harm my Lord be like Nabal. Foolish. Mm. She says, now, let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the servants who follow my Lord. Please forgive the sin of your servant, for the Lord will certainly establish the house of my Lord because the Lord fights the battles of the Lord. And may no evil be found in you all your days. Listen to her... Like, just fall all over him. Sure. With these words. She's basically saying she is she is seeing that he is God's servant, and she's using that to calm him down, to bring him down, to 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 she's basically uh hitting his buttons. She knows where his buttons are, and one of them right. is God is going to deliver you, and God's gonna make you king of this entire land. Like she's playing all of these cards on him. There's no way he can harm her. Sure. After this. Like she she knows exactly what to say. That's right. She takes the full brunt of the blame. She she is humbling herself before him and saying it's my fault. Blame me if you're going to blame anybody, if you're going to punish anybody, punish me, but the Lord fights your battles for you. You don't really have to do this. Right. And, uh, man, she knows how to work this guy. <laughs> and she says, may no evil be found in you all your days. In other words, 
you're going to regret it if you go in there and kill every man right. in Nabal's household. But, you know, he's going to keep you from doing that. God will keep you from doing that. Right. And uh, so, man, the insight is just so good. She says, when someone sets out to chase you and to take your life, the life of my Lord will be wrapped securely in the bag of the living by the Lord your God. But he will sling away the lives of your enemies from the sling's pocket. What is she talking about? Slings. She's hinting that the whole David and Goliath. Yes, she knows exactly. <laughs> she knows this guy. Oh yeah, and she's bringing it up. She's like, "Remember, God will take care of you. You don't have to do this. You don't. Right. God will handle your battles for you. Don't you remember from the sling? And <laughs> <laughs> says the Lord will do for my Lord everything that He's promised you, mm. and He will make you a leader over Israel. Your conscious." conscience will not be overwhelmed with guilt for having poured out innocent blood and for having taken matters into your own hands. When the Lord's granted my Lord success, please remember your servant. (laughs) Man, this woman is so good. Yeah. Like she she is brilliant in her strategy here. And it says, so listen to how David responds. Says, then David said to Abigail, praise be the Lord God of Israel who has sent you this day <laughs> to meet me. Praise be your good judgment. May you yourself be rewarded for having prevented me this day from shedding blood and taking matters into my own hands. He's singing her song. Sure. Like she set him up and he is like understanding and he's getting it. And he says, otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, he who has prevented me from harming you, if you had not come so quickly to meet me by morning's light, not even one male belonging to Nabal would have remained alive. (laughs) I'd have killed them all. I'd have killed them all. Everyone who pisseth against the Lord. Then David took from her hand what she had brought to him. And he said to her, go back to your home in peace. Be assured that I have listened to you. And responded favorably. She caught his eye. Sure. Right? And he says, when Abigail went back to Nabal, he was holding a banquet in his house like that of a king. And Nabal was having a good time and very intoxicated. <laughs> she told him absolutely nothing until morning light. And in the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him about these matters. And he had a stroke and was p- paralyzed. <laughs> And after about 10 days, the Lord struck Nabal down and he died. <laughs> so when David heard that Nabal had died. He's like, I'm going to get that girl. <laughs> that Betty's going to be mine. <laughs> he mm. said, praise be the Lord <laughs> yeah. who has vindicated Woo. me and avenged the insult that I suffered from Nabal. The Lord has kept his servant from doing evil and has repaid Nabal for his evil deeds. Then David sent word to Abigail and asked her, to become his wife. Aww. So the servants of David went to Abigail at Carmel and she and said to her, David has sent us to you to bring you back to be his wife. She arose, bowed her face toward the ground and said, your female servant, like a lowly servant, will wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. Then Abigail quickly went and mounted her donkey with five of her female <laughs> servants accompanying her and she followed David's messengers and became his wife. Woo! <laughs> great story. I just love that. I love that it's story. A great story. I just love the wisdom of her, sure. and I love how she can just 
how she uh, how she diffuses this entire situation, and God rewards both her and David out of this whole deal, right? Because Nabal's an idiot. Yeah, and he was Amen to that. and he was totally like uh, I, I like the way the Bible gives us this character of Nabal. Like, yeah, his name means he's a fool. But on top of that, he's acting very foolish, mm-hmm. and he's self-centered. He's uh, he is like throwing his own parties, and he's just you know all this stuff. Sure. And God is like, no, this is the perfect woman for my anointed. Yeah. And he arranges it to work that way. So, yeah. Anyway, I just thought it was really cool. All right. So the last one I have is Lydia, um, and it's weird that I pick her out. I think. Just because there's not a lot. I mean, it's just a handful of little verses. Yes. About Lydia. But I just, I'm always enamored with this idea of who Lydia was. Um, <clears throat> so Paul um, meets Lydia on his missionary journey um, in Philippi. Um, and where he meets her is not in a synagogue or a temple or anything, and she is not a Jew, from what I understand. Mm. Um, Paul's tradition, whenever he went to a city, was the first place he went was the synagogue. synagogue. Yeah, but Philippi didn't have a synagogue, mm. and so he went to a place where he knew that people would be worshiping, which was down by a river on the Sabbath. Yeah, and he meets this chick named Lydia. Now, Lydia, the Bible tells us that she's um, a seller of. Purple. Purple. That's what it says. <laughs> so we yeah. can we can garner a couple things by this. Um, th- there's been so much speculation, but this is what I really think it is. I think she's a widow. Mm. But I think that she was a widow of a very wealthy man who was a uh, dye merchant. Yes. Purple's a very expensive dye. Rare, yes. Very rare and very expensive dye. I think it comes dye. from clams or oysters or something. Yeah, and it's a special thing. And so she has inherent, inherited this position from her husband is what I'm, what I'm getting. Um, she, was, she was a Gentile, yet she was worshiping God. Mm. Somehow she knew who God was. And so she was down by the river worshiping with other women. Right? And that's where she met Paul. Now, it's very interesting because nowhere else in Paul's missionary journeys do you see Paul interacting with women um, and converting them and them starting a church. Mm. But Lydia heard the message of Paul, and this is what it says. um, And on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. By the way, this is uh, Acts 16, verse 14. <clears throat> One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of uh, Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who is a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and she was baptized, and her household as well. Mm. So Lydia was this woman in first century Philippi. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a very odd thing because women didn't have a lot of prominence, and yet this woman did. Anyways, um, 
She was baptized, her house was well. She urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So she invited Paul uh, and Silas to come and, and stay in her house, right? Uh, now, it's during this time that, that Paul and Silas confront this demon, uh, demon <laughs> like, and end up getting cast in a prison and then set free and all this stuff. But the Philippian church, which is a recorded church, yes. starts with this woman. Mm. It starts with Lydia. <laughs> Lydia becomes the first Christian convert of Europe. Yeah, yeah. She's the first European... I think they call it Macedonia Mace- in the Bible. Yeah, Macedonia yes. becomes modern-day Europe. She's the first Christian in Europe. Yes. Think about this. It's a woman. <laughs> and I love that, that that whole idea. And she not only start she's she's not only the first Christian convert, but she also starts a church uh, yes. in in her home and tells other people about Jesus. There's a book written to that church. That's right. There's an actual <laughs> book, Philippians, where Paul actually writes, and Lydia is the foundation of that, mm. which is so cool to me. Yeah. I just love that idea. So that's that's the reason I picked Lydia. It's just it's just a neat little I always think about her and I think about how cool God is and there's so many little that. things like that like in the New Testament right in the book of Acts and in the like the letter of the Romans and like the like Romans 16 is full of it's just a list of good Christians you should welcome into your home right you know and, and there's all these women mentioned you're right which is oh man so odd yeah <laughs> like it's, it's so counter it's, it's cultural yes yeah. And but you know that's the one of the cool things about the Bible, and hopefully we point is, it out in this podcast. Yeah, that you know, I think this should be empowering to women. Like, like the Bible is very pro women. Yeah, like you hear people talk about all the time about how the Bible is misogynistic and how women should it, keep silent in the church, which is misunderstood. Yeah, I mean, there's so many of these of these passages that are. Uh, that are taken wrong, and or and to even think that uh, that that they're to be servants, of, right. uh, like subservient to their husbands, and yeah. is there's a difference in being a slave and being a loving. That's right. You know, uh, anyway, I don't want to get into all that, but the Bible is very um, pro women. Yes, it is. It is is very complimentary right. to the women that are mentioned in the scriptures, whereas the guys don't get. I mean. Guys are the guys in the Bible are pretty dumb in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean they're, they're <laughs> which is good because I need that to let me know that I'm not the only one. <laughs> Amen. You are, David, you are not the only one. I understand, man. So, <laughs> there are a lot of people that are dumb like you. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, 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 what else? Uh, yeah, you're yeah. good. Okay, awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've exhausted at least. Our first list of women. Oh my goodness! We could probably go on and on. And we've spent a lot of time on it. I don't know how much time you have left for uh, well, some news. Let's do some news. All right. And now the news. <laughs> Speaking of demasculation, Iceland is proposing <laughs> a ban on male circumcision. Oh, I heard that. Yes. Iceland is considering a law that would outlaw male circumcision in children. If passed, it would be the first European country to do so. The penalty for circumcision, circumcising a child against the new law is six years in jail. Nice. 
<laughs> my parents would be in trouble. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mine too. It's so crazy. It's very interesting. This whole debate. I have a friend who's very adamant about how circumcision is child abuse, abuse in a lot of ways. Yeah. I, I don't know about whatever, but I think it's very interesting that Iceland is now considering actually. I wonder if we have any listeners in Iceland banning it. Do we have any? If you're from Iceland, what is your take on this <laughs> this whole issue? Because I'm kind of thinking, so, like, Iceland, who are you? Like, right? <laughs> He's against it all. I don't. I yeah. can't do. I can't even do an Iceland. What is, is an Iceland? Is accent? there an Icelandic uh, accent? accent? I don't. I don't, I don't know how that sounds. What, what are you? Okay. Uh, students all around the country are walking out in favor of gun control. In continued evolution from last week's high school walkouts, students around the country are walking out of school in support of gun control. Hundreds of D.C. students walked out in a planned protest and marched to Capitol Hill to demand gun control. Several other nationally uh, coordinated walkouts are planned. For example, Empower is planning to walk out March 14th, exactly a month after the killings. Uh, by the way, if you didn't know, there was a mass shooting in Florida. Yeah. Uh, and our hearts and prayers go out to those people. Um, so exactly a month after the killings where students walked out at 10 a.m. for 17 minutes, one for each victim, a march in D.C. called... Uh, March for Lives is planned on March 21st, as well as April 20th, the anniversary of the Columbine shooting. Though these young people are being derided and criticized by some, it is clear they are not backing down anytime soon. It's a, uh, man, we need to pray for our nation right now. Because if you go online, it's like every other post on Facebook right now is a, is some kind of a, a gun control debate post and it's it seems to be tearing our nation apart in a lot yeah. of ways so no it's like it's a never-ending battle i mean it's a never-ending discussion like every time this happens hmm. we go through the exact same debate and i mean i really don't get it like it's it just seems really strange it, it seems like the focus is on the wrong thing i agree it's all focused on politics and not focused on you know <sighs> Uh, actually fixing the problems. Mm. I mean, it's 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 really strange. Of course, you know we're in Texas, <laughs> right? So I mean, yeah. I I mean, I, as a gun owner, I have a hard time understanding the whole gun control argument. Yeah, the very I first murder in history happened with a rock, right? You know, are you gonna ban out, rocks? Are you gonna ban rocks? <laughs> it's not gonna stop the heart. It's not gonna stop people from killing people. That's true. I mean, uh. I don't know. It's like, <laughs> I don't get it. But anyway. We just need to pray for a solution. And I think there's a deeper matter at the heart of this whole thing. And it's a matter that you just touched on. The reality is, is um, people are broken. People are hurting. Mm-hmm. And people are psychotic and deranged because of that. And so the truth is, we know the truth. We need Jesus. Yes. More now than ever. And um it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And so we need to be shedding that that light to yeah, others. Yeah, if if you're gonna blame anybody, I mean honestly you can blame the, the, the churches for not being more active and not being right. more I mean, it is a heart problem and that's solved by 
people coming to know Jesus. Sure. And it's our job to make sure people know Jesus. <laughs> so speaking of that, the greatest man in America that ever lived to do that, Billy Graham, mm. passed away at 99 years old. And yes, I, he did. I can say that unequivocally that he was the greatest man to ever spread that because his message got around to more people. The, the message of the gospel got around to more people than anybody else in American history. His message of the gospel was preached to more people, and more people were saved than any other American in history. Mm. That is amazing. Can you imagine the homecoming that man had <laughs> when he went to heaven and saw the millions mm. that that are there simply because of his ministry? Yeah, it's pretty amazing. That's just powerful. So uh, a new, new story, Billy Graham is to lie in honor in the U.S. Capitol Rotunda next week. Yes, that's... So, so awesome. That is so cool. I really want to take a trip. Like, I really want to go and see. Um, all right. So uh, uh, since the tradition was established in 1852, only 31 individuals have been recognized with lying in honor in the U.S. Capitol Rotunda. Next week, from February 28th to March 1st, Billy Graham will become the 32nd mm. member of a list that includes Rosa Parks, Abraham Lincoln, and John F. Kennedy. Wow. Speaker of the House Paul Ryan extended the offer to Graham's family, saying in a statement, in recognition of Reverend Graham's long and distinguished service to the nation, it is our intention to ask the House of Representatives and the Senate to permit that his remains lie in honor in the rotunda of the Capitol so that America has the uh, Americans have the opportunity to pay their respects. Visitors of rotunda will find Graham's remains inside a pine casket. It will sit upon a pine-raised platform built for President Lincoln's casket. Wow. And that platform, called the catafalque, will be draped in black. The announcement from the speaker's website included some details about Graham's life. Reverend Billy Graham was internationally known for his devout faith, inherent humanity, and inclusive nature. He spread the gospel in 185 countries during his 99 years on earth, touching the lives of many and forever changing the course of the world's spiritual health. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. And so uh, it's with that. Uh, wait, I have one more. Benny Hinn. This is great. Oh, yeah. Yesterday, did you hear about this? No. Yesterday, televangelist. I just hear Benny Hinn and I go, oh, this has got to be good. Yesterday, televangelist Benny Hinn recorded an extended Facebook Live video. Uh, discussing the legacy of Billy Graham, who died yesterday at age 99, and along with talking about Graham's influence on himself and his ministry, and also surprisingly candid about his philosophy on the so-called prosperity gospel. Nice. The so-called prosperity. Though he said, we get attached, attacked for preaching prosperity, prosperity. Well, it's in the Bible, he continued, but I think I think that some have gone to the extreme with it, sadly, and it's not God's word which is taught, and I think I'm as guilty as others. Ooh. Wow. Okay. Sometimes you go a little further than you really need to go, and uh, and then God brings you back to normality and reality. He explained, when I was younger, I was influenced by the preachers who taught whatever they taught. But as I've lived longer, I'm thinking, wait a minute, you know, that doesn't fit totally with the Bible, and it doesn't fit with the reality. So what is prosperity? No lack. I've said this before. Hen said, did Elijah the prophet have a car? No. Did not even 
did not even have a bicycle. He had no lack. Did Jesus drive a car or live in a mansion? No, he had no lack. How about the apostles? None lacked among them. Today, the idea is abundance and palatial home. Uh, sorry, palatable. Oh, no, palatial. Yeah, homes and cars and bank accounts. The focus is wrong. It's so wrong. Huh. That's interesting. Hen went on to say that he no longer flies private jets and dispelled rumors that he is worth $40 million. We all sadly make the mistake of thinking that, well, this is what God wants. And God says, no, that's not what I want. It's time to live biblically. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, it all comes down to one thing. Do we love Jesus? Yes or no? If we love Jesus, then it's all about Jesus. If we don't love Jesus, then it's about other things. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah, so Vinny Hinn might be uh, oh. might be onto something. I, maybe Reverend Graham, that's his last convert. <laughs> <laughs> How would that be? Okay, well, that's cool. So today in church history. Oh, sorry, I should have warned you. Yeah, no, Talking I have my TARDIS ready. Good. I've been really watching some Doctor Who lately. Have you been? Oh yes. Yeah, I saw your post. I didn't think about it. I love Doctor Who. Yeah. Uh, so today in church history, actually yesterday, Billy Graham took a bombshell. And it's all about Billy Graham this yeah, week. Yeah. Just because oh, it's so been like all about that. on my heart and on my mind, this man was just amazing. But uh, in 1954 was the first time he took his cr- crusade overseas to Great Britain. Difficulties mounted. The crusade committee had trouble booking an auditorium. auditorium. They finally settled on uh, Herringay Arena, where which speakers had seldom been able to fill two nights in a row. Funds were short. During the crusade, Billy and his coworkers took pay cuts. Um, then they, they were sued by some of the members of parliament <laughs> and told that they weren't allowed to speak because of... Uh, um, British politics under the guise of religion is referring to the fact that a crusade brochure had mentioned the woes brought on by socialism. The Labor Party took it on as an attack. Then the London media got a, a, a hold of it and demanded Graham's scalp. Lukewarm supporters backpedaled. In other words, it was going really bad. Someone rang to announce that only 2,000 people had showed up of the 11,000 seating arena. Again, Billy dropped to his knees. <laughs> um, the negative publicity proved to be a blessing, however. The area, uh, the arena was jammed for three months where Billy went on. Uh, wherever Billy went, he was mobbed with friendly crowds. He, his team had to schedule extra meetings. Over two million people attended. Wow. Thousands came to know Christ. Londoners sang hymns in the subways. Winston Churchill met Billy and heard the gospel in private. (laughs) That London crusade did much to establish Mr. Grand's international ministry, which continued to expand over the next four decades. Interesting. Pretty amazing. So good. Yeah, God just used that man. And so, you know, it's just a great picture of what God can do in the life Ninety-nine years in the life of one man who was totally devoted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I was watching a thing by Kathy Kathy Lee Gifford, which I've never been a fan of Kathy Lee Gifford. I don't know, <laughs> but my wife turned me on to this, and she showed me this thing. And I am telling you, that woman knows who Jesus is, and she is not afraid to say it on ABC News. You should really, yeah, you should I'll Google check it. that out. Check it out. It's she spends. 
five minutes just telling everybody in the audience on ABC. By understand ABC didn't yes, Disney like right on ABC telling everybody that Jesus is the only answer for the cure, or, or only answer for the for the uh, for the um, problem that we have in yeah. our American society. Wow! And he was. He he was the one that led her to the Lord, That's cool. and so she talks about him and the reality of who he was in his ministry, and the fact that he just invited everybody into um, into a loving relationship with the Father through Jesus. It's so cool whenever you see someone like that, um, you know, passing on because it's like I had no sadness about this. No, me neither. Like none. No. Like, you know, you normally, you know, someone dies that even a celebrity that you right. like or whatever, and it's always like, oh man, it's going to be, you know, a bummer that he's not around anymore. This dude. It's like, this was like, you know, hey, put in a good word for me. Like, he finally got his reward. Yeah. And you think about what, you think about the millions of people. I just, I can't imagine. All those people are like, hey, that's the guy that led me to Jesus. You know what I mean? <laughs> and there they are. So, Absolutely cool, God. God really blessed uh, his life, and I I hope to become even a quarter of the minister Billy Graham. Oh was. man, Shush. big shoes to fill. Yep, so. that's all I got. Brother. All right, you ready to get out of here? Hey, let's do this. All righty. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network, using new media and social networking to go into all the world and to proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com, subscribe to the newsletter, and stay up to date with all our shows, including Finding Christ in Cinema and the Secret Fire Podcast. Visit our website at theonautspodcast.com for show notes and outlines. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher, and be sure to rate us because that helps us reach a larger audience. There are several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com or call us on our voicemail line, 972-885-7270. Tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Theonauts. If you like us and want even more Theonauts, drop us a buck or two at patreon.com slash Theonauts. Your patronage helps in our expenses like hosting fees and, what in the world, equipment costs. That was weird. <laughs> Don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's word with us. All right, Jeremiah, thanks for being here, brother. Thank you, David Gaddy. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your Great Commission. This is your Great Commission Transmission. At GCTNetwork.com. This is your Great Commission Transmission. This is your Great Commission. I'm here to tell you that each and every time you spoon into a bowl of Lucky Charms, you might as well be partaking of Lucifer's Sacrament.